You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. specialized in miracles. God, you keep all your promises. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise your name. Praise your name. Hallelujah. Amen. It feels good to be in the house of the Lord here. Amen. For a midweek service. Man, so good to be back together again. Amen. It feels good to feel the presence of God move in such a powerful way just as we begin expressing our hearts to Him. Amen. Amen. We want to welcome all of our guests with us here tonight. Amen. If you're a guest with us, we'd love to meet with you after the service at the welcome desk. We have a gift for you. We'd love to chat with you. So, amen. If you want to meet us there, that would be great. Amen. And, um, Hallelujah. Can we just lift up our hands one more time? Begin to magnify the name of the Lord. God, you're so good. We thank you for your presence. God, that fills this place. God, that fills our lives. God, I pray here right now that you would let your will be done in this service. God, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. God, and not only that, Jesus, but that we would be open to hear what you have to say. Hallelujah. God, we give you the praise here today. Jesus name Jesus name amen 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 you may be seated amen men have you ever been sitting down reading the paper or watching the game and your wife steps into the room to impart some important pieces of information and you answer with uh-huh yeah, okay. And then it's only weeks later that you find yourself talking to your wife, and she says, we're going to so-and-so's house tonight, and you say, you never told me that. A fun little disagreement begins, and then you realize that maybe you weren't as attentive to your special lady as you were to the paper or to the game. In the Word of God, we learn of a miracle, a man who actually listens, <laughs> His name is Samuel, and just for a few moments here tonight, I'm going to be speaking to you on this topic. Listen, listen. Not only did he listen, but he served God all of his life. Seldom, even in Scripture, do we meet people who served God all of their lives, but Samuel is such a man. In Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26, we read of Samuel that he continued to grow in favor with the Lord and with men. And from that time that he was just a child until he went home to be with the Lord at a ripe old age, he served the Lord. There's no evidence that Samuel experienced a teenage rebellion or that he had a midlife crisis. We don't read about him buying a red Corvette, putting on his tight jeans again, or maybe elephant pants. How many of you guys remember elephant pants? No? Okay, just me. He remains consistent consistently obedient to the voice of the Lord all of his life. But where did that come from? 
how did he learn to listen to the voice of the Lord? And just in case you're wondering why I'm up here instead of Pastor, Pastor and Sister Carter, they are uh, in St. George tonight and uh, attending some, to some district obligations that they have. So just pray for them, pray th- for their safe return as they come back. And we jump back into the lesson. I want to talk about his life, Samuel's life, in relation to us in three parts. First of all, the climate in which he was born, the climate in which he was born. And secondly, his mother's prayer, so important. And thirdly, the Lord's call upon his life. To really understand Samuel, we must endeavor to understand the times in which he lived. Samuel was born into a time in the history of his nation where confusion reigned. Israel's culture became convoluted by the beliefs of the pagan nations around them. Intermingling in their worship to God crept in these pagan practices. And if we back up a little bit, we see that they had a leader named Joshua. Before he died, he had warned the people and challenged them to fear the Lord and to serve Him in sincerity and truth. Joshua 24 and 14. He specifically told them, In verse 14, to put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And Joshua concludes this very pointed message with a word of personal testimony regarding his own decision. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was a call to make a stand for truth. Determine once and for all, as for me and my house, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And though the people of Israel responded very positively to Joshua's words and personal example, they failed to follow through. There's good news and there's bad news. What do you want to hear first? I'll tell you the good news. The good news, we read in in Judges chapter 2, verse 7, it tells us that they served the Lord all the days of Joshua. That's wonderful. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. They seen what God had done. They seen the miracles that God performed. They, they watched it with their own eyes. They heard the Lord for themselves. But then we read three verses later in verse 10. This is the bad news. Was that the generation after the elders, another generation had come onto the scene, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. The phrase describing this generation as those who did not know the Lord has to be understood in the sense of not acknowledging Him. It's not that they were ignorant of God. It's not that they didn't know who He was. It was that they chose to ignore Him and His Word. In turning to other things, they had silenced the voice of the Lord in their life, but as we read, it wouldn't just affect them. It would affect their children and their children's children because of their decision. And it is more a case of indifference than one of ignorance. Indifference can cause so much pain. And from this story, we read that every generation must choose God for themselves. 
Some of the saddest words in all Scripture are recorded in Judges chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. This is the false gods of the nations around them. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In only one generation, the whole nation had gone from worshiping the one true God to worshiping idols. After Joshua's death, his generation served God as they said they would, but the same could not be said for their children. This generation was changed by the pagan culture that surrounded them rather than influencing their pagan culture with the truth. This new generation did not pass on the religious heritage to their children. They didn't rehearse for their children all that God had done for them. Maybe they did, but they did not instruct their children in God's word. And in only one generation, the children of Israel went from serving and worshiping the one true God to being immersed in the pagan culture around them. What the world was doing snuck into their lives. The Bible tells us that it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. They sneak under the fence, almost completely undetected, unaware, and they chew away at the bottoms of the vine and destroy the whole plant, the little foxes, the little things. The second generation that we read about has this natural tendency to accept the status quo and to lose the vision of the first generation. The second generation has at best a lukewarmness toward the things of God and perhaps a complete abandonment of the principles that guides the first generation. And all too often the second generation has a second-hand experience with God. Their relationship with the Lord is based off of what happened to their parents, what happened to their grandparents, what was handed down to them, the stories that they heard. We've heard the stories of what God can do. Our parents told us how He dried up the Jordan River for them to walk across and how after days of silently walking around the walls of Jericho, they let out a shout and the walls came crashing down. We heard them, but we've never heard God for ourselves. We've never walked with the Lord to see for ourselves what He can do. We've never listened for His voice ourselves. A generation that grew comfortable with the silence of their God became comfortable with silent gods of the nations around them. Any society that rejects God's standard is headed for ruin. The last verse of the book of Judges ends with these words. Listen to these words closely. Listen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Because Israel had rejected God's standard, there was no standard. My youth pastor growing up, he told me, well, when I was attempting to grow up, it hasn't happened yet. But uh, he told me, he said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And it seems obvious that this also speaks to our day as well. Look how far this nation has fallen in such a short period of time, seemingly in a generation, removing God from our schools, forbidding our children from praying, rejecting God and His Word. The result today is no standard of conduct, and in its place we have situational ethics, 
ethics that are relational to each person, individual to each person. Everyone has to decide for themselves if something is right or wrong for them personally in their own given circumstances. In other words, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. The result, of course, is chaos. They say that history has a way of repeating itself, and if we fail to learn from the mistakes of previous generations, we will be doomed to repeat it. We must listen to what the Word of God tells us. The Bible clearly outlines the derailment of love for the Lord. It began with Joshua's generation where the people served the Lord. They served the Lord faithfully. They determined in their mind that they would serve the Lord. But the next generation... They failed to model and teach their children. The next generation, the Bible tells us, did evil in the sight of the Lord and served other gods. Moses had warned the leaders of keeping God's law in Deuteronomy. In fact, the term Deuteronomy is derived from two Greek words, deutros, meaning second, and nomos, meaning law. This book means second giving of the law. Moses tells them that he's repeating these laws and statutes so that they, as well as the next generation, may fear the Lord your God. Moses did not want the next generation to repeat the mistake of willful rebellion that had kept the people of Israel wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3, he says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, the only real effective, the only re- really effective motivation for our conduct is our love for God. Moses reminded them that their obedience to God should come from the love that they have for God and hearts filled with gratitude for His goodness. Verse 4 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Moses knew that when this generation had settled down in the land, that the temptation would be to forget about God. When their bellies were full, when they had homes and land and wealth, the tendency would be to believe that they no longer needed the Lord. Every generation is accountable for passing the faith to the next generation. We have a job to do. We have a mission to do as a church. And it goes on to say in Deuteronomy, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on your gates. This does not mean that they are to be continually lecturing their children. Children don't like lectures. It means that they are to be continuously living out their faith on a daily basis. They are to use every possible opportunity to communicate their own love for God and their commitment to keeping His commandments. To live out our faith in a consistent fashion before our children, before the next generation. Children soon pick up on how important God and His Word is to us. They do. They pick up on so much. If you ignore God's principles in living your life, you can be sure that your children will notice. If you allow other things to have priority in your life ahead of your time to be in the place of worship, they notice. If you put something else as a priority, you're automatically saying that this is more important than church. This is more important than God. They will notice that church attendance is an option, not a commitment. 
They will notice how much you give and sacrifice and commit. And what is not very important to you will be even less important to your children. The sins that you allow, they commit to excess. Listen, nations around us will tell us that we can love God without living how he wants us to live. They will tell us that we can take from his hand without seeking his face. They will tell us that we don't have to live for God so extreme. We are living in the middle of a thick, immoral fog. I'm going to get a little bit more positive than this. The millions around us are committed to doing what is right in their own eyes. If your moral behavior is not grounded on the absolutes of God's word, you will end up doing what is right in your own eyes. But right and wrong is not what we think they are or what we think they should be. It is what God says that they are. Because the Bible tells us that we are not our own person. That's a lie from the enemy. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. Is everybody asleep out there tonight? Quiet as crickets. You belong to him. Can we just praise God in that? We belong to him. We're not our own. We were bought with a precious price. Amen. He decides what is right and wrong for us, not us. If we were left to it as the world has been to come up with our own truths, <laughs> we would fail miserably. But we have a standard. That is the word of God that leads us and guides us into all truth. Amen. And unfortunately, the generation that followed Joshua did exactly what both Moses and Joshua had warned against. They failed to love God with all their hearts. Their service to God became a ritual, a routine. They just showed up for service so that they could check it off and say, hey, did that. <laughs> Maybe they didn't go to service then. But instead, it became a routine instead of a relationship. They did not pass on their faith to their children. And the end result, according to Judges 2 and 13, was that Israel forsook the Lord. You cannot have two masters. You can't serve God and the world at the same time. The book of Judges is the record of this tragic 300-year period in the history of Israel. Although the Lord was very angry with their decisions, He never turned His back on their cry for help. And we see in the book of Judges this record of seemingly unending downward spiral of the people of Israel during this time. And first the, Israel would fall into sin, then the resulting judgment that God told them would come, came, and would lead the people to repent and call it to God for deliverance, and He would deliver them, and then they would end back up into it. And unfortunately, the tears they shed were more signs of regret for the penalty than they were tears of repentance. And nonetheless, God always answered and delivered and restored His people. And then would come a time of rest and peace, only to be followed by Israel forgetting about God, falling into sin, and the process starting all over again. But each time they repeated the cycle, they spiraled further. And when the nation had reached its absolute lowest point, this is where we start reading about God speaking to a boy named Samuel. A boy who was willing to listen for the voice of the Lord. The Almighty has called us to listen to His direction. 
Samuel's story reminds us that one person who is willing to listen to the voice of the Lord can make a difference for an entire nation. He was willing to listen. But if you think the future of Israel began with Samuel, you are mistaken. It began with a desperate prayer from his mother, Hannah. A prayer that changed the future of her nation. A prayer used by God to bring into being the first and in some ways the greatest of the prophets of Israel. A man who would become the spiritual guide and mentor of the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. In this prayer that she prayed, it was born out of despair and misery. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Now there was a certain man of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. Everybody say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other, Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Samuel's father, Elkanah, in many ways seems to be a good and godly man, except that he had two wives. First signs of trouble. Hannah was his first wife, and when she could not have any children, he married Penina so he could have a family. And while having more than one wife took place in the Old Testament, it was never God's design which was one man and one woman for life. And inevitably, when we do come across homes with more than one wife, you can imagine there's strife, there's heartache, and Elkanah's home was no different. Hannah, she already felt bad enough. Penina seemed to have a a baby every time she blinked. (laughs) There's the baby. Oh, there's another baby. And just as regularly as the seasons, there came a new son or daughter to the family, and so that the house was filled with children, but none of them were Hannah's. None of them. The ache in her heart deepened as time went by. And the final wrench of agony, of course, was that Penina could not keep from taunting her about her inability to bear children. She found a thousand and one ways to remind Hannah of her barrenness. According to our story, each year Elkanah took his family to Shiloh to worship. This annual visit, it should have been a time of rejoicing. It should have been a joyful time for their family. But each year, Penina used it as an opportunity to harass and shame Hannah. Verse 6, it tells us, And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. But the Lord had closed her womb. She didn't know why the Lord had closed her womb. She taunted her, Penina did, and mocked her because of it. And every word sank deeply into the spirit of Hannah. She grieved over this inability that she had, and she was devastated by these cruel words. And yet it continued year after year. Verse 7, it says, So it was year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord, that she provoked her, Therefore, she wept and did not eat. Penina's verbal abuse was so intense and so painful for Hannah that she often burst into tears and became so emotionally distraught that she couldn't even eat. And Elkanah's response, so it's a sensitive response in verse 8. It's humorous (laughs) to read. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? Let me just break this down for you here. 
there are four questions that he asks Hannah. And each one reveals his insensitivity. (laughs) I'm putting it nicely. To connect with his wife's feelings. What are you crying about? As if he didn't know. Why don't you eat? As if he really did not understand why she was unable to eat. Why are you so downhearted? Is he really as dumb as a brick wall? (laughs) Or does not know what is happening in his own family? And the last is the best of all. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? She's a lucky woman. (laughs) Uh, But he's lucky that she didn't hit him after that last one. He's telling Hannah that she has no reason to be sad since she has him. Wow. Elkanah adds to her emotional turmoil. He had intensified her pain by telling her that she had no right to feel the way that she felt. It's still a difficult task for us men to relate to our wives on an emotional level. When our wives tell us a problem, we want to fix it. And our natural tendency is to be threatened when it is something that we know we cannot fix, to feel inadequate about that. But the response that is needed is just simply to listen, to try to connect with the emotions that they are feeling. The name Hannah means a woman of grace. And she certainly lived out this grace in the way that she handled her situation, and especially how she handled the continual abuse and cruel words. Penina's name, however, means venomous. Venomous. And she lived up to that name, attacking with poisonous jeers at every chance that she could get. Hannah, however, expressed her anguish only to the Lord. She took her plea to the Lord. And this kind of emotional pain has a way of driving us to our knees at times. When we get into those desperate situations, all we can do is just cry out to God. Verse 9, it tells us, So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. We learn that she wept in bitterness of soul. It seemed to her that she just couldn't take it anymore. It was too much for her to bear. The shame, the lack of fulfillment, the taunting looks, and even the words of the other woman watching the children of the other wife playing in the yard. The hopelessness, the despair. And her first response was bitter tears. Others may have come with burnt offerings to the temple that day, but she came with a broken heart. King David tells us in Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. God will not turn away the sacrifice of a broken heart. Hannah offered the shattered pieces of her heart to the Lord. It was a prayer of submission. And this is what she says. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant. She presented herself before God as his maidservant to do whatever he wanted her to do. And she no doubt had prayed many times for a child, but now she just releases it all into God's hands and says, you know what, I'm your servant, Lord. Do with me what you want. And it was a prayer that involved sacrifice. And she reveals her heart and she says, 
But if you will give me a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. No razor shall come upon his head. If you will give me a child, I will give him back to you. If you will fulfill this promise that I have waited so long for, I'll give that promise right back to you. She was making a vow to give back to God what was already his. And having worked through years of barrenness and having thought deeply about the problems, she realized for the first time something she had never known before. She realized that children are not just for parents. They are the Lord's. They are given to parents, loaned for a while. But the reason they are given is for the Lord to use. He has a purpose for the next generation too. He wants to speak to the next generation too. It's not in, just in this generation. It's not just for us, but it's for our children. And it's for our children's children. He wants to speak to them too. Let me tell you tonight that there is hope for the next generation. There is hope for the next generation. Her prayer was a prayer of great persistence. Verse 12 says, And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord, Hannah's prayer was so intense and persistent that Eli, the high priest, thought she was drunk. He watched her mouth, and now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard, and therefore Eli thought that she was drunk. And so Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Rebuked her. Because her lips were moving and no sound was coming out, and the, the, the state that she was in, the high priest thought that she was drunk. Think about how devastating this must have been. Hannah's husband had handled her emotional state so well. Oh, no, no, wait, he didn't. And now her, her pastor tells her that she needs to clean her act up and stop drinking. An arrival had provoked her. She's misunderstood by her husband, and now Eli had condemned her. And Hannah defended herself nobly, but with great humility in verse 15. And she says, she answers this, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. It's not what you think. I'm simply just pouring myself out to God. It's not what it looks like on the outside, but inside I'm pouring myself out. Pour myself out for the kid to come, for the next generation. I just want the next generation to come so bad. Oh, that we would follow the example of Hannah in casting all of her cares upon the Lord. First Peter chapter 5, verse 17, it invites the believer to do just that. It says, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. One translation, it reads it this way. It says, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties on him, for you are his personal concern. Instead of pouring out our hearts to somebody else, instead committing our cause to God. The result of our conversation with Eli is seen in verse 17. It says, then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Having laid everything at God's feet, she went away with peace. After years of anxiety and stress, she was at peace. Her desperate prayer was answered. 
And it says in verse 19, Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him from the Lord. Hmm. I've asked from him from the Lord. When her family returned home, God answered her prayer and gave her a son. When her son was born, she gave him the name Samuel which comes from two Hebrew words that means asked and heard, with the addition of El at the end of it, which is one of the names of God. So Samuel's name means heard of God or asked of God. And Hannah kept her vow to the Lord. If I could have the music come back. I told you I wasn't going to be long. Although it might have felt long, I don't know. I'm not sitting out there, I can't tell. If we could all stand, just as I come to a close. When Samuel became of age, she brought him to the tabernacle and gave him back to the Lord, just as she promised that she would. She kept her word. Samuel was moved into the priestly home of Eli, where he would be taught to serve the Lord. He ministered before the Lord underneath the guidance of the high priest. At a time when God was not speaking to his people very often, the writer tells us, In verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 3, it says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. I don't believe the problem was with God not being able to speak. But a problem with the people not listening. But that all changes when a boy with the name that means heard of God. Listened for God's voice. The Lord breaks the silent treatment one night with this young boy named Samuel, waking him up in the middle of the night. In verse 2 we read, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And so Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was The word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am for you to call me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Eli had taken Samuel under his wing and carefully nurtured him in the service of the Lord. With Eli's age and poor sight, he needed someone like Samuel to help him. So it's only natural that Samuel would think That the voice he heard late in the night was the voice of Eli calling out to him. And the first three times he comes running into Eli's room. You called me ready to serve. And Eli tells him, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And it's not until the third time that Eli grasps the situation and realizes that it's, it's not anything other than God who is calling out to Samuel. 
And in verse 9, Eli tells Samuel that if he hears the voice again, here is how he is to respond. It says, therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And so Samuel went and lay down in his place. Samuel went back and lay down and listened for that voice to come again. Listening. I'm listening, God. And in verse 10, it tells us, now the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. When God called again, this time he was ready. So Samuel grew, it tells us in verse 19, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. As Samuel grew older, God continued to speak to him and through him, whatever the Lord said he was going to do, he brought to pass. Not one word from the Lord fell to the ground unfulfilled. God spoke and he listened. He put this story in scripture, the Lord did, so that we could read generations and generations later that in a time when a nation has stopped listening, he heard the cry of a mother answered her plea and used her promise to speak to the nation to get them to listen again I know this world has stopped listening but I will listen Lord come on somebody God's still speaking to us tonight listen God still wants to speak to us listen can you hear him calling the Lord has something to say to his church it's not just for this generation but it's for the next generation and it's for the next generation and the one after that until the Lord comes amen he desires to speak to every single one of them and it's our job as individuals that have heard the Lord before to make sure that the next generation understands how to hear the Lord how to get in touch with God how to put themselves in a place where they they can hear his voice and understand that it's him that's calling them Hallelujah. And as I open up this altar here tonight, I want us to come and put ourselves before God. Maybe you're more comfortable praying in your pew. You can do that as well. But I'm going to open up this altar for you to come. Just as we do, I have one more verse that I want to share with you. Verse that God put in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. It was a, it was a word to the church. A church that God was trying to speak to, and he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens to me, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So as I open up this altar here tonight, if, you, if the voice of the Lord has grown distant in your life, I want you to just ask God, Lord, speak to me again. I want to hear your voice again. It's been too long. It's been too long. God, I need to hear you. Out of my desperation for the situation that I'm in, I'm calling. So we might have somebody here tonight that's like, that's like Samuel's mother, Hannah, that's just desperate to hear God's voice, that just needs a promise from God that he's going to deliver this next generation into the world, that he's going to use the next generation to propel his kingdom, his glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.